0: Key verse, John chapter 10, verses 9 to 11, Jesus is speaking, he's using some language here, he's talking to the people, and he's he's talking to them in a context that they can understand. He's speaking in agricultural terms, and he's talking about the relationship between sheep and shepherds. If you're going to tell somebody about Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to speak their language a little bit. You're going to have to make it relatable. They need to understand. So Bible King James language doesn't work today. You start using these and thous, people gonna walk away. You start talking about sheep and dogs and ducks and deers and sales at the store, and people gonna listen. <laughs> come on, people. <laughs> so Jesus is speaking in this, and I just wanna grab a, a bit out of it because this is what I believe is the key verse for the series. Jesus says this He says, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. It's interesting. Jesus says, I'm the gate, and then he says, I'm the shepherd. In those days what he meant and what he was talking about was this this pasture or this pen that sheep would spend the night in or sheep would hang out in. It was a, a small pasture or a large pen that had high fences, but it had a very narrow gate, and it only had one gate. You can only come in and out through this one gate, but the gate was very narrow. And so he's describing to these folks that I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, they understand what the pen looks like, they understand the role of a shepherd, but I don't think they understood the gate as well as they should have. So the gate itself, like I said, is narrow, it's actually just wide enough for the shepherd to lay across at night. So a shepherd in these days, he was actually the gate. Like there wasn't a swinging gate. He was the gate. At night he would lay down across the gate so the gate shouldn't be too much bigger than he is. So that he would fill the entrance to keep an eye on what's coming in and what's going out. Jesus said two things about himself. He says, I'm the gate. What does that mean? That means that he's the only way into this good life. We get way too hung up on the rich and the famous. They're not living the good life. They got bling, they got money, they got fame, but they're 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 going straight to hell unless they give their life to Jesus. And I guarantee if you could ever get close enough to them, you wouldn't want their life because you wouldn't like what their life is like. But instead, if you're not careful, you only fall in love with what you see on TVs or monitors or screens, but you never know the real story. So we end up killing ourselves trying to create this good life like they have, and it's a, it's a downgrade from the good life that God has for us. So Jesus is making something very clear. If you want to live a good life, it's going to have to happen through me. That's the only way. Like, there's no other way. It doesn't matter how good it looks. It doesn't matter how good it sounds. It's all fake. One must enter into a relationship with Jesus to enjoy the blessings of a good shepherd. There's no other way. And Jesus says to every one of us, every person on the planet, if you want to come in, you're welcome to come in, but you're going to come in through me. Because anybody that tries to to, to sneak over the wall, that's a thief. They get dealt with. It's only by relationship. (laughs) There's no other way. Then Jesus makes his second claim about himself. He says that he's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the one who cares for and protects the sheep. If the wolf was to come, he would have to get through him to get to the sheep. He's the good shepherd because he's the one responsible for leading them into good pastures. Sheep left to themselves will eat the grass to the bare ground and die. A good sheep need a good shepherd. A good shepherd brings them into taller, longer, healthier grass so that they can eat and find the nutrients in it and continue to live and multiply. Come on. So every sheep needs a shepherd. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a shepherd. (laughs) What if the good life you're striving for is just on the other side of the gate? You know that good life that you're killing yourself for? Thinking that more money, more things, more stuff. You know what happens when you get more stuff? You get, less pro- you get less time, more responsibility. There's some days a tent sounds good. Right? Like my house needs to be pressure washed. It looks crusty. But it's tall. I don't want to pressure wash my house. The good life that you're striving for and killing yourself for is not the good life that you've been promised. It's not found in this world, it's not found in the world's things. The good life is found in a rich and satisfying relationship with Jesus, not in religion. Not in denominations, in a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus tells us that those who come in through him will be saved. It says that they will will receive eternal life. Then he says those that come in through me can come and go freely. That was interesting to me. In fact, I had to spend a little bit of extra time to make sure that I was accurate on that because I thought it was one thing, but I was, it wasn't complete what I was thinking, so I had to research and study some more. What do you mean, Jesus, now that I've come through the gate, Jesus, I can come and go freely? What does that mean? And I got my understanding from, from an agricultural commentary that said this, when the shepherd At night, the sheep would come into the pen. The shepherd would lay across the gate. He was the gate. In the morning, he would stand up by the edge of the gate, and the sheep would go out. They could come out, and they they could go out and come in as freely as they wanted to. They could go out and find nice green pastures, find them a good shade tree to to sleep under. They could go eat till their bellies were full and then find a sweet spot to lay down and take a nap while they processed the food. They could come and go freely. Watch what it says. It says, they can come and go freely and will find good pastures. Hmm. That's interesting. If the sheep got frightened, they would run back to the the shepherd or through the gate and into the pen because that's where their safety was. So if they got frightened, they could run back to security. If they wanted to take a good nap and not worry about anything, they could come close to the shepherd and rest there. I'm giving you some good stuff. I'm just telling you right now, you're trying to take a nap on somebody else's land. Your best nap is in the feet of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Your best rest is at the feet of Jesus. It's in his pen. It's through his gate. Come on, somebody. They could come and go. Freely, which says a lot about Jesus. It says a lot about how good of a shepherd he is. So he's not a fearful shepherd. <laughs> He's not afraid, he's not insecure, he's not not guessing who he is, he knows he's the good shepherd. So he stands at the gate and the sheep can come and go with freedom and liberty and they can move back and forth because he's not insecure if they get in trouble out there, he knows he can get to them. He knows they can come here but he knows he can get there. He's the good shepherd because he's always keeping a watchful eye over his sheep. I wonder when I was thinking about David, when David was out taking care of his daddy's flock, I wonder if one of the reasons God chose David was because David was a good shepherd. And if David could take care of bad sheep, he could probably take care of God's sheep. Come on, somebody. He was a good shepherd. You see, Jesus goes right after this, and he talks about the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. A hireling runs. He's good until the wolf comes. When the wolf comes, the hireling throws off his staff, and he's out. You can eat all the sheep you want. I'm done. A good shepherd stands and fights. (sighs) A good shepherd will fight for you. You want a pastor that will run every time the wolves come? They got plenty of them. I'm not built to run. (laughs) I'm like an army tank. I'm not a motorcycle. Come on, somebody. I move slow. (laughs) Some of y'all got a visual. (laughs) They could come and go. Freely, which means which means this, which tells me this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't shepherd with rules and regulations. Jesus' shepherding skills aren't restrictive. Is this too much? They're not rules and regulations. They're not restrictive. He's not holding the sheep in the pen, hoping that the wolf doesn't come. Jesus is not panicking over your life, even though you are. He's the shepherd who knows I can get to him out there and I can protect him right here. I've got a good eye, and he's got quick feet. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So what are we striving for? Are we striving for something that's already been given to us? Are we killing ourselves on the altar of work and income and and, and disguising it as provision, trying to get some kind of a good life that's already been given to us? So Jesus makes it real clear that we are free to live a fulfilling life. Did you hear that? You are free to live the good life. You can come and go. So the word pasture here, I just, I just felt like I had to get something out of the Greek. I'm just telling you. just The word pasture here in the Greek is the word nome. And the word pasture means to graze, to feed, to grow, to increase, and to eat. Meaning this, that Jesus said you can come and go freely and you will have good pastures. You will find good, you will always find a good place to grow. You'll always find a good place to increase. I'm putting you in a land, I'm putting you in a place where you can increase. That didn't go as well as I thought it was going to go. guess I shouldn't have looked it up in the Greek, threw everybody off. Jesus also tells us about our enemy. He's Verse 10, he says, the thief's purpose. How many of you know Satan has a purpose for you? (laughs) Satan has a purpose for this month, this past month. The The thief's purpose, watch this, is to steal, not just steal, and kill. Not just steal and kill, but steal and kill and destroy. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to kill you. (laughs) Oh, man. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Hmm. That's interesting. Jesus said, the enemy's purpose is to take life. My purpose is to give life. Did you hear the latest report from South Korea? 153-plus people died from trampling at a Halloween celebration. 150 more are severely injured. A good chunk of those were Americans. So roughly 300-something people's lives have been totally physically, naturally changed forever because of a Halloween celebration. Now tell me, when's the last time you heard a report like that from a Christmas parade? 400 people got killed at a Christmas parade. What is the enemy trying to do? Take life. What is God doing? Giving life. There is a major difference, and we got to grow up, and we got to start to understand what's good and what's evil. They're not blended together anymore. That's every time the church gets in trouble is when they blend good and evil together. So Jesus says, I came, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Let me tell you what that word life means. It means not only salvation from hell, because some people just stop there. You also get a heavenly perspective. That means now instead of seeing from the bottom up, I get to see from the top down. I can see my situation from the top down because I spent my whole life looking from the bottom up. You get a heavenly perspective. That's the life that he's given you. You can see different. Then he says, you can grow in trust. That means you can trust me more than you do now. That means, it also means that you can grow in knowledge of God. That means you can get to know God better than you know him now. Why are you satisfied with how you know God now? Then that word life means a life full of the fruit of the spirit. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You can be full of it. Come on, you've been full of yourself your whole life. Why not get full of the fruit of the Spirit? Come on. Everybody around you be like, yeah, you need to get you some of that fruit. <laughs> so it's not just salvation from hell. It's a heavenly perspective, a growing trust and knowledge of God, and a life full of the fr- fruit of the Spirit. Just trying to set up the series. That's all I'm trying to do. So once, so once we're saved, we receive eternal life, right? So once you give your life to Jesus, you walk through the gate. The Bible says that you receive eternal life. Now listen to me clearly. You receive eternal life. That life doesn't begin in heaven. That life began the day you walk through the gate. Some of you are waiting for eternal life living when you get to heaven, and you can have it right now. You don't have to wait till then. You can have it right now. You can live eternal life now, not then, but now. It'll be more full then, but you're going to get you some now if you want it. So instead of sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back so that you can live a good life, how about start living it Now. It's been given to you now. Let me prove it to you. 1 John chapter 5, 11 to 13. I'm going to read you from the Amplified Version. I don't always use the Amplified Version, but boy, it said it how I liked it. Verse 11, and the, and, and the testimony is this. God has given us eternal life. We already possess it. And this life is in his son, resulting in our spiritual completeness and eternal companionship with him. He who has the son by accepting him as Lord and Savior has the life that is eternal. He who does not have the son of God by personal faith does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, which represents all that Jesus Christ is and does, so that you will know, watch this, with settled and absolute knowledge. That's not wavering. That's settled. That's absolute. Like, the, like the, the enemy can throw every bit of hell at me. I'm still settled. I'm still absolute. Come on, somebody. I still have eternal life. I'm not shaking. It's more than just singing a song. I'm not shaking. Why? Because I have absolute life. So that you will know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have eternal life. The good life Jesus promises us started at salvation. Mm-mm-mm. It started at salvation. Somebody's going to walk out of here a little bit free today. I'm just telling you. started it started at salvation. It's not going to start when you get to heaven. You'll get the fullness of it when you get to heaven, but you're going to get you something today. One more verse, and then I'll get into the first message of the series. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Everyone should know this verse. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, has become. Become. Okay. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become A new person. Look at your neighbor and say, you seem new today. The old life is gone. Say bye-bye. And a new life has begun. So watch this. this. This new life looks nothing like the old life. In fact, if you've been saved for more than 10 minutes, you should already start to see some change. Ah, if ain't nothing changing, then you ain't living, baby. I'm just telling you right now, if you're still stale as an old cracker, then you need to do something. You need to start growing because Jesus intended you to grow. He took the old life and threw it away, and he gave you a new one, and it's begun. So keep it going. Keep producing fruit. When's the last time you had some new fruit pop out? When's the last time your spouse or your children said, man, there's something different about you? those are the ones that know you best (laughs) this new life looks nothing like the old life nothing like the old life You know what's amazing to me about Jesus is he didn't just lay his life down one time. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father, watching over us. He's still at the gate. Still watching the sheep as they come and go. Not taking the day off. Because why? He's the good shepherd. When you're in trouble, he sends angels. When the enemy comes at you, he sends troops. When you get discouraged, come on, Paul, he shows up. When you need something, he orders it. He's still. So that's what the series is going to be about. First message, this new life that we've been given. What does it look like? How do we get to enjoy it? First message, Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. Billy Graham said this. He said for the believer there is a hope beyond the grave. Because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven for us by his death and his resurrection. Oh, come on, somebody. That was better than you responded. You better give Billy Graham some props. That was a good word. We have hope beyond the grave. Why? Because Jesus kicked open the door of heaven for us with his death and his resurrection. That means the door's no longer closed. It's open. They're going to get it one day, Billy. Don't you worry. Jesus gives us hope. What is hope? Let me give you a definition. To hope is to anticipate with pleasure. To hope is to have confidence in. It means to wait with expectation. It means to fully trust. It's not wishful thinking. Hope anticipates with pleasure, has confidence in, it waits with expectation. It fully trusts. Jesus gives us hope that is incomparable to the hope found in Disney movies. (laughs) You're going to catch that one later. Jesus gives us hope. So where does our hope come from? Go with me to Romans chapter 5 starting in verse 1, Romans 5, verse 1 to 5. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we now have peace with God. Look at your neighbor and say you got peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Wow. Paul said a lot. So because you decided to go through the gate, you're now made right in God's sight by faith. Watch this. And now you have peace with God. Because of what Christ has done, you have peace with God. Do you know the scriptures say you used to be an enemy of God? When you're unsaved, you're an enemy of God. When you get saved, the Bible talks in languages that says you're like a friend of God now. You've been invited into his kingdom. You've been adopted into his family. The relationship that you couldn't have with God, you now can have because your sin was washed white as snow. So now you have peace with God. Some of you need to settle that in your hearts today because you're living like God's still mad. You're living like he's going to change his mind about you any minute. You're living like he's still holding your past against you when ain't nobody but you holding your past against you. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, watch this, of undeserved privilege. Look at your neighbor and say, you're privileged. And say it with a big smile on your face because privilege has gotten a bad word or a bad rap lately. Right? Oh, these people, they're privileged. Are they? Well, if you're born again, yes, you are. Hi, (laughs) I'm privileged. (laughs) I'm a privileged child. Come on, somebody! I'm privileged. Accuse me of being privileged. I'm gonna say yes and amen. I got undeserved privilege, simply because I walk through the gate. Come on, somebody! And watch this. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Watch this now, where we now stand. And. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So when you went through the gate, you became privileged with an undeserved privilege and you stand there. And now you can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. You didn't have that when you was dead. It's where we now stand. Are you you picking up the the communication here? It's, It's like it's already done. Like this is where you're expected to stand now, in this place of undeserved privilege. I don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to be a good person anymore. I do good things because I'm privileged, not because I'm trying to get privileged, Ah, come on somebody, you got to get this in you today. You're not striving for God's approval. He already gave it to you. He put you in a place of undeserved privilege. Why do you have an issue staying there? Why do we keep stepping down from that and wanting to be like the world? They're lost as a goose. You've been given privilege to stand in that place. In verse 3 he says something really crazy like James does. He says, so after he tells you all that, you can stand in this undeserved place of privilege and you can, you, can, you know, confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. Verse 3, we can rejoice too <laughs> when we run into problems and trials. For we know, or we should know, that those problems and trials help us to develop endurance. Why is it that we have a hard time changing our attitude about problems and trials? Maybe not all of us, but, but why, do, why do some of us, like when problems and trials come, it's the end of the world. Like, like you didn't even expect it. Like, like you go, well, I'm not supposed to have problems and trials. I'm a Christian. No, baby, somebody lied to you. As soon as you became a Christian and walked through the gate, you got yourself a full-time enemy. <laughs> He's looking. He's prowling around looking for you. Not just to hurt you, but to kill you. So why do we get surprised when we have problems and trials? If you're not ready for problems and trials, when they come, you don't know how to handle them. You can't manage them. You see them as death, but they're not death. They actually give you life. It's a total transition of thought. That's why Paul could say, we can rejoice too. Like you don't have to complain when you have problems. Like you could actually rejoice over your problems. Pastor, you're gonna get me fired. You're gonna get me kicked out of the family. I'm telling you, this is just a little too weird for my family. I don't know if they can take this, you know, <laughs> rejoice when I got some problems. Come on, Pastor. It ain't me, bro. I didn't write the book. God did. I struggle with it myself. Boy, if we could flip our attitude with problems and trials. I'm going to show it to you. Watch this. We can rejoice too when problems and trials come, when we run into them. <laughs> You're going to run into them. For we know that they help us. They help us. Problems and trials help us. Who helps us? Problems and trials. You're in because you think they're hurting you. They're actually there to help you. <laughs> For we know that they help us develop Endurance. That endurance, in other words, how you get through the trial, that's endurance, is how you get through the trial. You gotta endure through the problems and the trials. Some of you quit too quick. (laughs) You gotta learn how to endure. He's trying to develop some endurance in you. When the endurance is developed, you get strength of character. That means you know how to act in a trial. You know how to act when you got some problems. You're getting some character now. You're going to hold up. I've been in a problem before. I've been in a trial before. I didn't get it right last time, but I'm going to endure a little bit further this time. So the first time I didn't make it all the way through, but now I'm going back through it again. I'm going to make it a little bit further than I did last time. And if I have to go through it again, I'm going to go a little bit further. And the whole time your character is being developed. As your character is being developed, you're growing in confidence hope. You can't have hope without problems. We want hope with no problems. We want hope without a reason for hope. Oh, man. (laughs) Confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. It's not going to lead you to disappointment. It's not going to let you down. For we know how dearly God loves us, watch this, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So Paul tells us how we can have hope. He tells us who our hope is found in. We're in a place of undeserved privilege where we can now stand and have confidence and joy. Paul is telling us that when we have problems and trials, they develop us. We grow in endurance. Endurance grows character. Character grows confident hope. That hope will not lead to disappointment. Watch this. There's areas in my life that I'm, I'm, I'm really strong in hope. There's other areas in my life that I'm not as strong in hope in. I think I understand why. The areas that I'm strong in hope, I have confident hope Are the areas of the problems and trials that I went through that I learned how to endure, that some character was developed in me, and then I gained confident hope. Those were the problems and trials that I did good in. The places that I struggle with hope are the places that I had, I I gave up. Maybe I quit too early. I I didn't go all the way through. I complained the whole time. I griped the whole time. Maybe I threw myself on the floor and God had to come pick me up. I don't know. But I I don't have as much hope in this area as I do in this area. And my conclusion for my life is that it's because I didn't grow in this area, but I did grow in this area. Does that make sense? So hope will not lead to disappointment. And on top of all that, he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We'll get to that in just a minute. Because that's very, 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 very important. So what does hope look like? You guys ask great questions. What does hope look like? Romans 15, 13. You getting something yet? I pray that God, the source of hope. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely, watch this now, you got to pay attention to the scriptures, that he will fill you completely with what? Joy and peace. Who's filling you with joy and peace? The God of hope. The God of hope is filling you with joy and peace completely. (laughs) Because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is my source of hope. But what does hope look like? You ever wonder what hope looked like? Anybody? Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm worried about you. But, like, do you ever wonder what hope, like, what does hope look like? I would ask you if you've ever faked it before, but I don't want you to raise your hand and embarrass yourself. And me neither. <coughs> What does hope look like? Well, Paul said, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you with joy and peace. What does hope look like? Joy and peace. How many of you like joy and peace? Come on. I'm looking for some peace when I get home this afternoon. I want a piece of uh, taco soup. I I want a piece of recliner. And I want a big old slice of a long nap. Come on, somebody! I want. Some, and when I wake up, I'm gonna have joy. I want. Some <laughs> what does it look like? It looks like joy and peace. Wow! It looks like joy, and it looks like peace. Hang on to that because we trust in Him. It says, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad it was your Bible app. (laughs) Recognize the voice. (laughs) Those thoughts ran through my head. Because you trust in him, watch this, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what what does hope look like? It looks like joy and peace. What if I'm struggling with hope? Pastor, is it okay to struggle with hope? Is this a safe place that I can struggle with hope? Am I going to get judged if I struggle with hope? Is anybody in this church going to think less of me because I don't have hope in this area? What if I'm struggling with hope? So let me ask you a question. I want you to be brutally honest. And I want you to look around to see who raises their hands. How many of you in here have ever in your life struggled with hope. Raise your hand. High as you can. You've struggled. Now look around. That's everybody. That's everybody. Struggled with hope. Psalm 62. David's going to give us a solution when we struggle with hope. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope. Is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. (laughs) So, what do we do if we're struggling? With hope. If you're not in a safe place, if you're not in a church where people care about you or in a community where people care about you, they may start to judge you when you're struggling with hope. Even though that's the case, at times it's still not an excuse to keep struggling with hope. Because here's the truth, you don't have to struggle with hope. We just talked about that with problems and trials, right? So problems and trials are there to help you. If you're struggling with hope, it's because you didn't quite handle the problem in the trial correctly. You didn't grow through it. So the next time it comes... You don't have to be as hopeless as you were last time. You can get through it better. You can grow more. And you can come out of it with confident hope. It's okay to struggle with hope. It's just not okay to keep struggling with hope. Come on, somebody. Like, nobody's judging you. Nobody's condemning you. But listen to me. You've been given a place. You're you're standing in a place of undeserved privilege. You're a child of God. You've come through the gate. You belong to Jesus now. You're intended to grow. You've been given the Holy Spirit to help you grow. Problems and trials come so that you can continue to grow. You don't have to keep struggling with hope. (sighs) So David gives us three things to help us when we're struggling with hope. I want to show them to you from Psalm 62 that we just read. The first thing David says is to wait quietly before God. Now, this is is very, very important and also very dear to us right now because I don't know if you've recognized it, but the last couple of months it's been a resounding phrase that the Lord's given us, to sit with him. Sit with him. Sit quietly with him. Be still and know that I'm God. It's been over and over and over and over again. I think God's trying to teach us how to be still. I think God's trying to teach us how to sit quietly. Sit quietly. David said, I wait quietly before God. Why is that important? Why is it important to wait quietly before God? Well, in a simple way, it's important because God doesn't speak loud unless you get one of these transformation, you know, transfiguration moments where he speaks in the cloud and then you poop in your pants and you end up on your knees. Okay, like, but most of the time he speaks quietly. I'd say something to wake y'all up. Y'all look like y'all in a daze. I said it. Can you not say poop in your pants at church? (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what y'all are laughing about. So Okay. But why is it important to wait quietly before God? Because you need to steal your heart. You need to rest your soul. You need to quiet yourself down. Why? Because you're usually too amped up, too nervous, too anxious, too worried, too fearful, too busy, too forward-thinking. Got to get to the next thing, got to get to the next thing, got to get to the next thing. You're living in the next thing world. So sometimes the only way you're going to get something from God is when you can wait quietly before him. Well, how do I know I'm waiting quietly? Let me give you a little tip I realized last night. (laughs) You sit still and quiet until you can hear his presence in the room. You ever sat with somebody else in a room and it got so quiet that you could hear them sitting? We were at my house the other day and we, we, we prayed for a little while and we got quiet. And for the first time in a long time I heard the clock Clicking. talk. It caught my attention. That's how quiet we got. I went, I looked at the clock. I was like, I forgot that clock was even there. But I just heard it because I got quiet enough to hear. So how long do you need to stay there till you hear something? How quiet do you need to get until you can hear something? Just trying to help. Wait quietly before God. Some of us don't wait long enough. Some of us don't quiet ourselves long enough. Some of you don't quiet your environment long enough. You bring your cell phone into a meeting with God. He don't want your cell phone there. You don't need it. You bring your, 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 your laptop and your notifications are going off and you're trying to sit there and hear from God? Come on, somebody. Somebody just posted something and you really need to see it. And all of a sudden you're sitting with God trying to get a word of life from God and you're worried about what somebody just posted on Fakeagram. Right. Wait, David said, I waited quietly before God. Then he said this, I waited quietly before God and then I started speaking better words. Look at what David said. Let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. Verse 6. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. All my people trust in him at all times. God is my refuge. He started to speak better words. We got to learn how to quit reciting the problems. We got to learn how to quit reciting the depression. We got to quit saying, oh, I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. You're claiming it over your own life. You're in your own way. Speak a better word. Speak better words. I'm not talking about claim it, name it, frame it. I'm talking about just speak a better word. Are you going through a problem? Yes, I'm going through a problem. Life don't feel good right now. But my God is my refuge. My God is my strength. You don't know my God like I know my. He's going to pull me through. Tim and I had lunch today at, at, at a, I'm, not today. <laughs> that, was, that was prophetic, you buying. <laughs> yeah, I got witnesses too. <laughs> it's about time you buy, no, I'm joking. <laughs> That's a joke, it's a joke. Stop that. So, so Tim and I had lunch this week and we're sitting in the Chinese restaurant and, and we're talking about God things and we're talking about Jesus and all this stuff and there's some people sitting in the booth next to us that were eavesdropping. But it was good. So they finished eating before we did, and, and, the, and they got up, and the guy walks over and he looks at me and goes, you a, you a, you a pastor? I said, mm-hmm. And I always kind of go, uh, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he talked about church. And then he just starts telling his story. Like, didn't even ask, like, do you want to hear my story? He didn't even ask. I, was, I learned so much from this guy in, like, 15 minutes. It blew my mind because the guy just, like, walked up and started telling the story. And if it had been a bad story, I'd probably feel different about it. But it was a good story. And so he starts to tell us his story, his life story. And it's full of chaos and all this other stuff. His son got hit by a car. He was like three or four years old. And his skull was collapsed. His brain was all, all this, it's crazy story. And he's in the hospital. And the, and the doctor said, he said, Doc, how, what percent my son has? I mean, like, is he going to make it? He goes, he ain't going to make it. And he went but you don't know my God. But you don't know my God, Doc. You don't know my God. And then all of a sudden, the boy had brain activity. Skull still crushed and spitting out bones and blood. And Doc said, yeah, he's got brain activity, but he ain't going to make it. We're going like, to cut him open. We're gonna, he said, you don't know my God. And all kind of miraculous things happened. And his words were, but you don't know my God. You don't know my God. I'm telling you right now, some of you need to learn how to change your speech and speak better words. Everybody in their mama knows you're going through a problem. They can see it all over your face. You You just don't need to keep reciting it. Speak a better word. Change your testimony. Change your declaration. Speak a better word. Speaking a better word changes you. It changes your attitude about the problem. (laughs) So wait quietly before God. Speak better words. Look at the third thing David did. In verse 8, he says, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. I believe some of us are just a little too stopped up. Our heart is full of the wrong stuff. It's because we're not emptying it out. David said, pour out your heart to him. Pour out your heart to him. So David sits with the Lord quietly and then he starts to speak better words where'd those better words come from sitting quietly with the Lord I'm telling you some of you it's the simplest thing right now it's the simplest thing for you if you'll just learn how to sit your tail still and quiet and listen it'll transform your life Some of you are one word away from transformation. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. You're one moment from everything changing. If you'll just sit still and sit quiet before the Lord. So David starts to speak better words. And then he pours out his heart to God. Boy, let me tell you something. One of the most refreshing, one of the most life giving, rejuvenating, renewing things you can ever do is to sit with the Lord who created you and empty out your heart with Him. Pour it out. Pour it out. Tell Him how it feels, how it feels. That's Psalms. Psalms is mostly David pouring out his heart. David was good at pouring out his heart. He said things like, Lord, you, you ran me through the mud. You did me dirty, Lord. You ran me through the mud. You caused people to run over my head. You some of my stuff burned down. Lord, you did. It. He's pouring out his heart like he feels it. If it ain't good, he's giving it to God. Ain't good. You hear what I'm saying? He poured his heart out like it was. He didn't doctor it up, polish it, and then present it to the Lord. He gave it to him straightforward. Because when it's real and it's raw, your heart gets emptied of all that stuff. And then you know what happened? He breathed into you life and refreshment and strength and courage and hope. So stop being plugged up. Empty your heart out. Come on. What's stopping you? Is it a trust issue? I mean, the safest person to open and pour your heart out to is God. He doesn't have an Instagram account. He's not on Twitter. He's not going to post your business. He doesn't go to the barbershop. Why would you not pour your heart out to God? When you've been given the right to. You've been given permission to. It's actually expected of you to. If your heart was designed to carry everything that you ever walked through, then you never get upset and lose your stuff. All right, Psalms 147, last verse. Well, no, it's not the last verse, but I'm going to bring it to a close. Psalms 147, verse 11. Listen to how God feels about all this stuff we've been talking about today. 147, verse 11, it says this. No, the Lord delights, or the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Watch this. God delights when you trust him. God delights when you've put your hope in him. He delights. In other words, it's delightful to him. You see, God wants you to lean on him. God wants you to trust him. He wants you to run to him when you get scared. He wants you to run to him when the enemy's after you. He wants you to go out and eat the good grass that he's given you. But he wants you to know that you can always come back in if you're feeling scared or you're feeling weary or you're tired. You need a safe place to rest can always come back right here he delights when we put our hope in him so this good life that we've been given is a life that hopes we've been given the hope that Jesus gives not the hope that the world gives the world takes back its hope and its hope leads to disappointment Jesus's hope never disappoints amen so I want you to stand up real quick. We're going to do something a little bit different. Don't get mad at me. We're going to make a declaration. We're going to practice better words. Look at your neighbor says time to practice. Practice, practice, practice. We're going to declare some better words. Put up Psalms 23. And I want you to. I want you to speak this over your life. I don't want you thinking about anybody else. I want you to speak this over your life. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Can we give the Lord some praise this morning? That's who you are. That's who you are. He walks with you. He prepares a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. We don't have to be afraid because he's close. His eyes are on us. He's not slipping. Lord, we thank you for today. You're so good to us, God. I pray that you open our eyes, open our heart and our minds. I pray, God, that we can start to understand. Give us fresh revelation of what this good life is. God, I pray that we'll begin to enjoy this good life like You've given to us. And God, we'll stand in the place of undeserved privilege, and we'll have confidence and joy, and that our hope will look like joy and peace. God, I pray that we will get so, so caught up in this good life That the world around us would find it attractive And they would say, man, that looks like the real stuff That looks like the good stuff Where would you get that at? And they would begin to want what we got Lord, help us to live the good life that you've promised us Help us to walk in the hope that you've given us when problems and trials come, help us to change our attitude about them. Flip the script in our mind, Lord. I don't have to go through it like I did last time. I can go through it with some joy and some peace this time. Knowing that I'm going to come out on the other side with more hope than I went into.